0: Uh, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Good to see again some new faces that we haven't seen for a while. Um, this morning, uh, I want to begin uh, by thanking Pastor Matt, uh, who is probably out in the foyer right now. But I want to thank Pastor Matt Music, who preached last Sunday, and he just did a phenomenal job. Um, uh, yeah, give him a round of applause. <laughs> Uh, dealing with the topic of repentance, which is a big topic. And I also want to take a moment to congratulate Pastor Matt and Pastor Miranda, who were both ordained this last Monday night as elders in the Church of the Nazarene. Let's give them a big round of applause. (laughs) That is, for those of you who maybe don't fully understand, that's kind of a big deal. That's a big deal for, for those of us that are pursuing this call to ministry to reach that milestone of ordination. And, uh, and uh, so we were really glad to be able to celebrate that with them um, last Monday night up uh, in Stowe. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful night. Uh, we are going to be in our ninth, if you can believe it, our ninth uh, teaching from the, you're like, yes, I can believe it. When are you going to be done? The ninth teaching from our foundation series. Uh, but uh, Before I get in what I want to talk about today, I want to do kind of a quick review. Matt did this a little bit <laughs> last week he did a great job of showing us how everything was connected and i want to reinforce that with you this morning because what we're ultimately going to talk about together today really ties in to everything that has brought us up to this point okay so we began our journey nine weeks ago looking at the nature of god our first three weeks We learned about who God is, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We learned about the role that each one of them play and how they come together in what we were calling this divine dance of perfect love. And then um, in our fourth week, we looked at our foundational document, which is the Holy Scriptures. And we talked about how God's Word provides for us a, a clear and undeniable explanation regarding the salvation of humankind. In week five, we looked at the picture of sin, both the sin that we are born with because of the fall of humankind through the choices of Adam and Eve, and then also the sin that we choose in our lives. You remember we talked about original, and we talked about personal sin. And then in the week that we talked about sin, the week after that, we talked about how the price for that sin or the consequences of that sin is paid through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His willing sacrifice pays the price. It bridges the gap, if you will, that is created by our sin, and it brings us back into a relationship with God. Then in week seven, we talked about grace, specifically the grace that goes before us, before we know God, before we accept the salvation, but also that that goes before us in every step of our lives. We call it the prevenient grace. And we talked about how it is very different from the saving grace of God, which is part of God giving us this incredible gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. God's prevenient grace, or the grace that goes before, is at work even when we do not see it. Realize it, and in some cases, accept it for what it is. And then last week, Pastor Matt talked to us about repentance. It's the point of decision Where we choose to turn from who we are, separated from Christ, to who we can be in Christ. And I love how he talked about how true repentance will produce something different in us. We should look different to those who are watching when we have repented. And in the long run, how we are different actually becomes the greatest and, and most powerful testimony to what God has done in our lives. So this morning, in light of everything that we've just reviewed together, I want to talk to you about a single moment. A moment in which everything changes and a new start begins. That moment is often referred to as the point of salvation or the moment of conversion. It is when, by faith, someone makes the decision to accept the gift that God has graciously given to us the gift of a new life through Jesus Christ. And what I want to focus on this morning is what happens in that moment, that incredible moment of surrendering our life and our will to God. Now, our ninth article of faith talks about that moment, and it lists three incredible things that happen. They are separate in identity and function, but they are simultaneous in their occurrence. Perhaps you can recall the moment that you decided to accept God's gift of salvation. I should note that not everyone will remember this moment. There's no cookie cutter path toward um, uh, our life in Christ. Some of us have these life altering encounters with God in which everything just radically changes in the, in the snap of a finger. Some of us grow up in the church and, 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 and what we believe and what forms us as a person has, has long been a part of who we are. It just, it's just how we grew up. It's just what we knew. There may not actually be a radical encounter with God type experience that they can point to. For me, it was when I was 10 years old and I was attending a gospel concert basically at the church where my father was pastoring and and the group had given their performance and at the conclusion of their show, they extended an invitation to accept God's gift of salvation. Now, I had grown up in the church. I had heard this spiel time after time after time after time. I could probably give it. I I, I knew what it meant. I, I knew it inside, outside. But something that night, there was just something in that moment that was different for me. And when they started to sing and they called the people to the front who wanted to respond to the invitation that was coming through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, I knew in that moment that it was time for me to make a decision about how I was going to live the rest of my life. And so I got up from my seat, and I walked that long aisle, and I went down to the altar, and I prayed, and I accepted in that moment God's gift of salvation, and I welcomed Jesus into my heart. In the church that I grew up in, baptism was almost always uh, right after someone made a decision. We always had the baptistry going. I didn't grow up Nazarene, okay? But they're okay. Uh, but the baptistry was always going, always ready. And so that night, when I made a decision, I was baptized that very night. Uh, later on that evening, uh, I remember riding home in my parents' minivan with my mom. And she said, so, uh, so, how do you feel? And my response to her was simple I said, I feel different. I feel different. You see, I felt different because in that moment, my life had changed. I was given a new start. I was given a fresh start. There was a new beginning. Now, I didn't really know it perhaps at the time, or at least I didn't know how to explain it or describe it entirely, but there was three things, three spiritual things that were happening for me, happening in me in that very moment. Three spiritual and important things that happened when I prayed that prayer in faith. And I believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that He was my Lord and Savior. And I accepted the forgiveness of sins that's made available to me because of Jesus' sacrifice for me. The first thing is that I was justified. Now, we understand it like this in our article of faith. It says, "...we believe that justification is the gracious and judicial act of God by which He grants full pardon of all guilt and complete release from the penalty of sins committed and acceptance as righteous to all who believe on Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior." You see, when we are justified, God doesn't just forgive our sins, He wipes the slate clean. I want you to understand this this morning because this is so important. When, God, when we are justified, God doesn't just forgive our sins. He wipes the slate clean, a full pardon. And with our slate wiped clean, we are accepted for the first time as righteous, as holy. And the gap that sin created is closed as the relationship that we were created for is restored. Listen to how Paul talks about it when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. (laughs) What an awesome gift. What an awesome gift from God to have have the slate completely wiped clean, to get an entirely new start that doesn't hold on to any of the baggage from who we used to be or what we have done. Church, that ought to get an amen from one or two of you, because some of you have some dirty baggage. I'm one of them. But through my salvation in Jesus Christ, through the justification that I receive because of that salvation, not only am I forgiven of all of that nasty, horrible stuff that was a part of the old me, it's not even on the record anymore. It has been expunged. But at the same time that we are being justified, another amazing thing happens. We are being regenerated. Now, We don't often use the term regeneration. We're more likely to talk about it as being reborn or being born again. It's a really challenging concept, uh, especially if you've seen a birth. Nobody wants to go through that twice. It's a really challenging concept for us to understand. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but we look at it like this in our article of faith. We believe that regeneration or the new birth is that gracious work of God whereby the moral nature of the repentant believer is spiritually quickened and given a distinctively spiritual life, capable of faith, love, and obedience. One of the things that I love about each part of what is happening is the active role of God's grace. We see God's grace in our justification. We see God's grace in our regeneration, and we will see it here in a moment as well. You see, outside of God's grace, we would never, ever have access to these things. Do you understand that? Outside of the generous and abundant and ever-flowing and completely undeserved grace of God, everything that is made available to you you would not deserve. The idea of regeneration or being born again or a new birth is hard to understand, yet it's something that Jesus very clearly points to. Perhaps you know the story. It's a story about a man named Nicodemus we find in the John's Gospel, chapter three. It says this, there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And one evening he came to speak with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And this is what Jesus said in verse 3. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, just think about that for just a moment. If you had never heard the term born again before, if you were a trained religious scholar, and here is a possible trained religious scholar, a rabbi, oh, well, you must be born again, say what? I got to do what? How, he says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? It does not make sense. And Jesus said this in verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And here it is, verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit Gives birth to spiritual life. That last sentence, that verse six, is the key to this regeneration topic. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that produces something distinct, filled with faith, abounding in love, and submitted through obedience. Do you hear me, church, one more time? It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that produces something distinct that's filled with faith that is abounding in love and it is submitted through obedience. In other words, when we receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that it's offered to us by God the Father and we believe in faith that our sins are forgiven and our slate is wiped clean and our life immediately begins to change by how we live and love. But there's one more thing. While we're justified through Christ's sacrifice and we are regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are then adopted into the family of God. And this, for so many people, is such good news. In our culture today, adoption usually occurs when a child is, is, is very young. It's not always the case but it's often the case. But in ancient times, this is not how adoption uh, was viewed. In fact, in ancient times, adoption was seen as the act of offering older children. And let me stop right there, and some of you are like, I have some children available for adoption. (laughs) Uh, I think we should go back. You know, traditions are important. In those days, adoption was seen as the offering of older children, young teens, and young adults for the benefit of some sort of family assistance or prestige. So when adoption was offered to you, you could choose to accept it or reject it. If you were being adopted, if adoption was being offered to you, is because maybe you were on a lower level of society, and by adopting you, you could, you could take on a new name. You could gain some prestige you never had before. Maybe you could get some financial support and some financial backing that you'd never had before, and so you could be adopted. But if you accepted that adoption, it meant, listen, it meant receiving a new name, number one. Number 2 it also meant you had to cut ties with your family association. Can we see beyond? Can we see beyond what's being said here? When the Bible talks about being adopted into the family of God, about being brought into the family of God, it's not the picture that we so often have in our mind of a young infant who was born to a mother that can't handle it, so she gives up the baby for adoption, and another family takes him in and cares. No, this is somebody at another stage in their life who needs something better, who needs to get out of the situation that they're in, and another family comes along and says, Listen, we will take you in, but here's the deal: I'm gonna give you a new name. That's your name from now on. Number two, you got to get rid of all this other stuff you. We're a part of that's what it means to be adopted into the family of god so this is how we see it we believe that adoption is the gracious there it is again act of god by which the justified and regenerated believer is constituted a child of god adoption is not something that's forced on someone it's not something that they have no say in. God does not force us into adoption into the family of God. Instead, adoption is seen as something that God graciously offers us, and then he awaits our response. The Apostle Paul explains it like this. Romans chapter 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Through our adoption in the family of God, we move from being an outsider to being identified as one of God's own children. We become heirs of God's glory. It becomes our inheritance. And all of this happens in a moment. All of this happens in that one single moment. Article of Faith says this, that we believe that justification, regeneration, and adoption are simultaneous in the experience of seekers after God and are received by faith, preceded by repentance, and that to this work and state of grace, the Holy Spirit Bears witness. What that means is that we believe that in that moment of decision, whether it be a radical, life-changing encounter with God or something that you grow into and at some point in your life you have a moment, a transformation moment where you surrender your heart and you surrender your will to God. And we are saying that in that moment you are justified, you are regenerated, and you are adopted into the family of God. And all of this happens because of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit here and now. Now and in this world and in our lives. In a single moment that's brought about by a repentant heart, the Holy Spirit does a mighty work, it produces a new start, a new beginning. So when my mom asked me that night in our minivan, how do you feel? My response was, I feel different. I was experiencing that new start, that fresh beginning. And so all of this raises some pretty important questions for us today. Like this, have you experienced a new start in your life? Let me be clear, <clears throat> making the choice to accept the gifts that God has given us do not guarantee a life of smooth sailing. Amen? In fact, Jesus says this in John 16. He goes, here on this earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. You know why? Because I have overcome the world. (laughs) But notice what he says at the end. He says, I have overcome the world. You see the difference between someone who has received God's free gifts and someone who has not is this. Listen, those who receive God's free gift know that they will face trials and sorrows. Yes? But they also realize that the burden of those realities is not theirs to carry alone. You hear me this morning? Those who receive God's free gift, they know they're going to face trials and sorrows, but they also know, man, this is not my burden to carry. This is not just me on this road. You see, those who receive God's free gift do not continue to wonder if they are really okay with God. You hear me? Those who receive God's free gift do not continue to wonder, am I really, I mean, am I really okay with God? Is, is my, am I really in the right place? Because they acknowledge and they accept that they have been justified through their faith. This is so important. I, 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 you hear me say, ah, I hear so often, well, you know, back when, and and this is what, no, no, listen, you don't have to wonder if you have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, if you have been repentant in your heart, if you have gone through that moment in your life, you need to understand you have been justified through faith. All of that nonsense is gone. That stuff is over. Over. It's, it doesn't have to be a part of your everyday life. Well, I just wonder. I mean, you know, back when I was 18, I, no, stop. Stop, man. First of all, you're dishonoring God. And second of all, you have a horrible testimony. If the whole time you're questioning whether or not God actually did what he said he did and what you experienced, what is wrong with you? You're dishonoring God, and your testimony is horrible. Those who receive God's free gift do not continue to wonder if they're really okay with God because they acknowledge and they accept that they have been justified through their faith. Their past does not haunt them because their past has been erased. Those who receive God's free gift do not dwell on who they used to be and they do not continually lament the person that they used to be. Why? Because they're not that person anymore. (laughs) Do you remember regenerated? New birth, born again, they're not that person anymore because they have experienced a new birth, a new life in Christ. If you have received the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and your heart is repented and you have been forgiven, guess what? You are not who you used to be. Some of you just need to write that down right now. I am not who I used to be. Because every day you cycle back through that over and over again and you keep lamenting and you keep reliving and God says, I didn't create you for your past, I created you for your future. Those who receive God's free gift do not travel the trials and sorrows of this life in isolation or in insecurity because they have chosen to accept the adoption freely offered by God to enter into a new family with a new identity guys you are not doing this alone i just saw you for the first time this morning it's good to see you bro you are not doing this alone guys you know when i was a little guy we're actually going to sing this song next sunday because next sunday we're going to talk about what it means to be in covenant community part of being in the church you guys remember that song, Family of God? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family. You know? Maybe we should sing that song every Sunday night at the close of our worship service. And everybody'd stand up and we'd line all the way around the entire sanctuary. and We'd all hold hands. You know, there was no COVID then. And, and uh, we would sing, we would sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family. The family of God. Man, I just think sometimes we need to be reminded about that. You're a part of the family of God. You know, that, that's, that to me is one of, the, one of the joys, one of the benefits of coming here and being with you all. You know, I, I realize... You know, we have we have family, we have physical family that that are a part of our lives, but this right here is our spiritual family. This has some real eternal impact. This has some real eternal meaning. And when I get to be with you guys, man, when I get to be up here and listen to you guys sing, woo! I mean, that just really floats my boat. That gets me all excited. But I just love being with you guys. I love seeing your faces and I love hugging your necks and shaking your hands and talking to you about what's going on in your life and hearing about your hurts and hearing about your pains and praying for you and just living life with you because that's what it means to be in a family there's nothing about your life in christ that is you alone in isolation feeling insecure why because you got a huge family man you got a huge family so if you have experienced a new start in your life how has this changed the way you live how has it changed the things that you do? Because when we accept God's gift, if, we, if we've had our slates wiped clean, if we begin a new life in Christ, if we enjoy the blessings of being a part of the family of God, guess what? We take on some new responsibilities. I'm sorry. Um, there are a few things we've got to take care of. If you're going to accept all of this, if you're going to live in this, God says, okay, I, let's do these things. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Apostle Paul says this, if anyone... Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And guess what? All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You catch that? God has given you the task of reconciling people to him. If you are walking in, if you are living in, if you have received the gift of salvation, if your life has been justified, regenerated, and born again, guess what? You have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to be reconciling other people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So guess what? We are Christ's ambassadors. We're Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God! Come back to God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So when we step into the new start that God is offering us, we not only enjoy the blessings of the new start, but we take on a new level of opportunity. I'm sorry, a new level of responsibility. We become Christ's ambassadors. We become bearers of the good news. Our lives become living testimonies of God's love and of His grace and His mercy and His kindness and His compassion. And all of this, all of that God has made available to us comes in a moment, a single moment, that is rooted in another moment. And that moment was when the course of history changed because of one man's sacrifice. When Jesus willingly gave himself as an offering for our sin, he paid the price. He was the atonement. He reconciled a broken world to a loving God. And he gave us a tangible and meaningful reminder of that sacrifice when he instituted the table of remembrance for us. We see the communion table as a place of grace and a place of fellowship. It's a place of grace in that through our participation in the sacrament, we can have a fuller understanding of and come to grips with exactly what God has done. The communion table reminds us of Jesus' life. It reminds us of Jesus' sufferings, his death, resurrection, and it also gives us hope that he's going to come again. We believe that in this moment, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is present. And so when we gather at our table of communion, we do so with appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. This table serves as a a place of renewal in life, renewal in salvation. It's a place of uniting because of the Holy Spirit. So as we gather our table of remembrance this morning, let's reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that allows us to receive the gifts that God has so freely given. Let's reflect on the new start that we have stepped into through our decision to accept God's salvation. Let's reflect on how our lives are to be reoriented as we are justified, regenerated, and adopted into God's family. And for some of you this morning, as you gather at this table, for some of you this morning, as you gather at this table, perhaps the Holy Spirit is is creating an urging or a prompting in your heart to respond to what Jesus has done for you. Perhaps you are feeling the call of God on your heart, that grace that goes before, the prevenient grace of God, and you're coming to a place much like I came to over 30 years ago where I knew it was time. It was time to surrender my will to the will of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we gather at this, your table, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captive, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he ate with sinners, and he established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And we live today, Father, in the hope of his coming once again. So we gather here as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts? Would you make them by the power of your Holy Spirit to be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood? Father, by your Spirit, would you make us one in Christ with each other, one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until he comes again in final victory? And now, Father, as your Son taught us to pray, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Would you join me now as we receive these elements? You can open it up if you haven't already. On the top, we find the the wafer. And if you want to just go ahead and uh, hold that to the side and open your cup as well. These are just... Mere representations. They are symbols of something much greater, much more powerful than a, a, a little prepackaged sacrament. <laughs> this bread for us represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And as you eat this this morning, understand that this is meant to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. And so eat in remembrance of that, that Christ died for you, and be thankful. And in this cup, we have the juice, which represents for us the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. And as you drink this morning, do so in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for your gift. The gift of that moment that we've talked about, that single moment where so much radically changes in us, and that moment which is rooted in a much more radical moment, and that would be when your Son gave His life for ours. And so, Father, as we gather today at this table to remember, to pause, to reflect, to worship. God, I pray that we would understand the, the incredible significance of what we are participating in right now. This is something that Jesus himself instituted and gave to us so that we would be reminded of the gift that he has given us, that we would be reminded of the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. And God, I pray that at no point would we ever make light of this that we would walk even from this moment this morning in some way changed in some way challenged in some way having grown in some way having taken time to reflect on our lives where we have been and where we're going and perhaps father even in this moment to to have someone in this place experience for the first time that moment That moment when they can can say, that's when I was justified, that's when my slate was wiped clean, that's when I was regenerated and I experienced a, a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when I was adopted and I was able to take on a new name and that name was Christ, Jesus Christ. I now carry his name and the old me is gone. God, I pray for each one of us. that at this table, as we celebrate, we would be impacted, we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, and we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. As I close this morning, I want us to have the opportunity to respond to what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced. Now, as I said earlier, some of you here this morning, you've had this moment in your lives. You've ha- you have experienced that new start and you are living a life that is a testimony to what God has done in you and for you. And I just want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said earlier, we are to be Christ's ambassadors. You have a task. In fact, if you have been living your life as a Christian, not engaged in some sort of ambassador-like role, if you have not engaged the task that has been given to you, you are living in disobedience. And there's always a consequence for our disobedience. You have a task, you have a mission, and I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, live in it. Some of you have experienced that new start, but you found yourself wandering from God. You're not living in the promises that God has given you, and instead you're choosing your will over the will of God. And let me just say this to you this morning God is waiting for you to come back. Like the father of the prodigal son, God is ready, waiting, and eager to celebrate your return to the family. And for some of you, all of this is still very new. The whole idea of having a fresh start may be appealing to you, but you have resisted for one reason or another. You're haunted by your past. You're chained by your failures and your insufficiencies. And maybe you feel like you will never, ever be enough. And if that's you, I just want you to remember this. Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. Christ died for you while you were still a sinner broken, but He died for you. He died for you just the way you are. And He did so in order that you would not have to remain the way you are. And I don't know about you guys, but I just think that's good news for everybody. Would you stand with us this morning?